Is that what I'm saying? Rough Trade Radio. 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 Hello, I'm Stan Raymond. This is Rough Trade Radio, and we're here today for a slightly nepotistic episode of Rough Trade Radio. I'm joined by my old man, Simon, who may be better known to our listeners uh, for his musical endeavours than his fatherhood. <laughs> hey, Stan, Would you say you? so? Um, I'd like Possibly. to think so, but you never know. I think you were a, a, a good addition That's to not the... not taking anything the away from the fatherhood. Um, so you're former Cocteau Twins member and now owner of one of the world's leading independent record labels, I would say, Bella Union, whose 20th anniversary is upon us next month. Two 20-year-old children and a 20-year-old label now, you could say. I know, it makes me feel very old when you put it like that. But, um, yeah, it's been a ride. I have to say, uh, you know, given that my natural distaste for record labels is quite weird to be still running one. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it feels pretty amazing to have got here, to be honest. We've been through, you know what it's like. You, you work in, 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 in record shops and it's... Uh, in the independent side of things, it's a lot of up and down, you know. Mm. And um, I can't say it's been an easy twenty years. It's it's been incredibly difficult at times. And my, you know, you do wonder, like, how is this possible? How do we still be sitting here talking yeah. together? There were a couple of times when you got close to giving it, giving up. Were there or? Oh yeah, at yeah. least two. At least two big ones. I mean, uh, in around about two thousand and seven, just before the Fleet Foxes success which we'll, we'll probably come on to later yeah. that uh our distributor went bust owing us hundreds of thousands of pounds yeah. and then about six months later v2 went bust who were our licensee mm. owing us a similarly large amount of money and you know in the independent world that's a that's a that's masses amount of them that's like millions to you know to yeah. bigger companies and yeah. it's uh it took a lot of luck and a lot of good Hard people work. out there to help yeah. recover from that yeah and that was so you went from V two to was that PS? Well to co or? well to, to co op, yeah. which was kind of like a label services one of the yeah. nascent label services kind of companies that set up out of the ashes of uh V two. Well it was actually started at V two by the guy that had set it up at, at labels, which was an EMI thing that happened in I think the eighties or nineties, where uh a record companies realized that instead of signing bands, they may be should try signing labels and let the label A&R, the independent labels, do the work because I suppose their record of of, of A&R maybe wasn't that great. They thought they saw a, a you know a niche in the in the marketplace to have a, a a label, and that's how it started. And the guy that started that became the boss of Co-op, and he became a friend and was a fan of the label, and that's how we sort of got into bed with with those people. Yeah, and Fleet Foxes was actually the very first release. After that, yeah, okay, cool. on, on co-op, so it was obviously a brilliant. And they start. made a good decision. <laughs> yeah, it was a good start for them as well yeah. as well as for us. Cool. Um, so we're here actually because your label of the month at Rough Trade next month celebrate the twentieth anniversary. So we're getting a sampler CD for any uh, catalog purchases, and actually two out of print Jonathan Wilson albums on New Colours, I believe. That's correct. Yes, Fanfare and Gentle Spirit both been out of press for for some time. So um, with with his current uh, work coming probably to a close at the end of this year, he's out on tour with uh, with Roger Waters of all people, oh, wow. 
um, and he's just finished a brand new album. Obviously, Jonathan Wilson's been producing an incredible amount the last few years. We did the Father John Misty records, all of them, um, and he's been working on a lot of other really cool albums. So mm. I think it's perfect timing to get those back yeah, out there. Yeah, definitely. You had some anniversary shows as well recently. You had yeah, we did a little and... package tour. We Something I've always wanted to do, to be honest. I wish we could do it more, but it's uh, it's not easy to, to arrange yeah. with all the different protagonists, booking agents yeah. and, and whatnot. So, yeah, we had Mammut and Pavo Pavo, Mammut from Iceland, Pavo Pavo from Brooklyn. We had them uh, with Will Stratton doing about six or seven shows around the UK yeah. and a couple outside in, in Europe. Um, we've... We had a big show at uh, the Great Escape with Belogi, with John Grant as a special secret headliner. Yeah, and we also have uh, a few more this year. We've got uh, two shows at the Barbican with uh, Mercury Rev and the Royal Northern Symphonia and me on guitar. Amazing! And we've got Ezra Furman doing a special show on July the thirteenth. Uh, the Mercury Rev shows the fourteenth, I think, and then the Mercury Rev uh, are doing a few more around the country. And then the last one that's sort of official and announced is is Lantern on the Lake playing in Bristol with a, a chamber orchestra with Holly McVie as the support. So those are the main ones. Um, we've got a Jambin Iron Xylorus White one in in the in the can, mm-hmm. but it's not announced yet. Do you think it's hard to build up interest from other parties for an anniversary that seems i mean for, for you it's a massive thing but do, do you think it's hard for oh, yeah. to get other people on board i think it's hard to get people out out, out, out off these the sofa days. these yeah. days i really do it's yeah. it seems like there's never been better music than there is right now it's it seems like you know the easiest thing in the world is to sign a band mm-hmm. you know there's so many incredible bands out there but the hardest thing is to get people out to see them and yeah. you you know you, that is surprising in a way because ticket prices are still really low. for the lower yeah, level things they're really level. good yeah, you, know, totally. you know four or five pound to go and see a, a couple of bands you know i mean i think our ticket price was seven or eight quid to see three of these bands you know i think that's incredible yeah, value yeah. but still the shows were not no full, not packed no, yeah um but you know you've got to start somewhere and you've got to do it because yeah. i just think if you if you don't do it you've just sort of given up yeah <laughs> you know, no, totally, um, yeah. and, and and luckily, I think the reaction is always really good. If the bands are great, and people will go away from the show and they'll talk to their friends, and hopefully, the next time those bands come back, there'll be a few more. That's the only way you can do it. No, totally. Well, I think it's yeah, it's an amazing thing to have got twenty years, so you have to celebrate it in some. <laughs> I think so. In some Even way, if no one turns up, exactly. you still got to try. We'll, we'll go. We'll go. <laughs> um, so well, yeah, we're gonna hopefully play a few tracks from. Your, your catalogue, uh, stuff that maybe meant something to both of us. I'm, well, I'm sure it Yeah, that would be interesting. You, it is well interesting and... knowing that uh, to think of the tracks that meant something to you. When yeah, you when I kind of started. I've never really thought about that until today. Yeah, well, I think when you grow up around such interesting, great music, it becomes kind of the norm. And I've actually maybe only fully appreciated how special it was in more recent years. Um I guess that's just because. So what that's was what the first thing um, that you remember? Like you know, obviously. Well, I was thinking about this the other day when when we decided to do this, and I, I do one of the earliest ones is I think a, a John Grant in store, well a Zars in store actually at HMV I think it was maybe in Oxford Street or. No, you know what it was. It was. Oh, what was that? Do you place remember? Called? I think yeah, it was, I do remember. It wasn't H- or maybe it was HMV. And I remember it very well, jo- John. It was a bookshop. Well, it maybe was it was a, book, a bookshop. Waterstones. Okay, okay. It was Waterstones. Okay. And they did these kind of, it was Uncut. Yeah. Uncut Magazine and Waterstones had this little partnership. 
and they did little in-stores. And you're right, I remember that now. And that must have been two. That must have been really early in the label's history, like 2002. I was thinking, yeah, it must have been ugly people. So you versus, must have been like what, 11? Yeah, I mean, I do, but I, I was thinking as well because of how long you've been working with John, and he's gone, who started the Zars and has now gone on to be one of your most successful artists and. That for me was pretty cool to see someone at kind of quite a low point back yes, then, wasn't he? And absolutely. Well, I mean, that's, that is probably, if you had to ask me to pick one story out of the whole 20 years yeah. that, that sort of is the most important, I'd have to, I'd have to say that yeah. the John Grant story is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, he was one of our very first signings. We started the label in 1997 and John signed in 1998. So if you think that he's been working with us now pretty much all 20 years, yeah. that's kind of crazy Yeah, insane. to have a relationship that's lasted that long. Um, and a very special one because, as you said there, it hasn't always gone that great for him. And uh, no. his first solo record didn't come out till 2010. You know, um, and uh, as you say, everything before that was, was well, didn't really go that great. No. And he's had a lot of well, obviously well-publicised troubles yeah. during that time so it, it, it sort of feels very special to have gone through all that with him and mm. then come out the other side and as you say seeing him yeah doing so well is no, is, totally. is real treat yeah well, I, sh- I share that as well very fond of him as a person wonderful, and he's what a human being and an incredible artist yeah so i think i think that install we're talking about was uh when ugly people versus beautiful people came out Yes. Say so, yes, that sounds about right. I mean, I I, I produced that record uh, in Denver because the way the the way the whole thing with John worked, I'll tell you the story briefly. Um, he started sending me stuff very soon after the label had formed. He was a big fan of the Cocteaus, and he started sending me tapes, none of which were actually very good to start with. No. His voice was. Good. Um, but it, you know, this, it, the rest of the band didn't sound that great, and I kept saying to him, "Look, I kind of like some of this, John, but you just keep sending me things, and I'm sure it'll get better." And he did. He persevered. Every month or two, he'd send me a new batch of demos. Mm. And after about three or four, I took the decision to to go with it. Took the plunge, mm. and I said, "All right, listen, I think this is this is pretty good. Come over, bring the band. I'll fly the band over to London." We had a very beautiful studio, which you, you may or may not remember on the on the in in Richmond on the River yeah, Thames, September Sand, yeah, September remember. Sand, uh, where the Cocteaus uh, was was based. Our, our, it was our kind of home studio. Yeah, and it, they, we, I brought the band over. We made the first album there, which I produced. Then I went to Denver, where they were all living, and did the next album, which was the Ugly People versus the Beautiful People. A beautiful record, yeah, really, really special album. But again, it just didn't do anything. No. You know, a great press acclaim. Yeah, people seem to like it, yeah. but uh, they go and play shows, and then no one would turn up. And it well, obviously, sort of wore wore John down, it wore all of us down, to be honest, because we were like, "This why aren't this why isn't this bad happening?" But that's what you learn doing a record label. Sometimes you think, well, you obviously, think all the bands you sign are fantastic, and then when the audience doesn't get it, it's a bit like, "Oh, what what am I doing wrong here?" Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I fully agree. I think that was one of the one of the very early ones that I did get on board with. Yeah. And, um, should we play a track from that? Yes, let's play something. Uh, what would be a good track from that? The opening one's pretty good, isn't it? Is that was the opening one, Drug? 
oh, still a great song. Yeah. It still plays that live today. It yeah, well, that's going to be a great one to add to. Cool. So, Zars and Drug from The Ugly People versus The Beautiful People.
I think that's one of the earlier earlier tracks uh, that I remember. Um, I, I, I'm probably too young to remember the very early years. Uh, could you talk us through the first few releases on the label? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, like the first few years, really, not not even when John's record came out, it was it was very tough. Didn't know what I was doing. No. It was the first. What was the, the first release? Person? Was my own solo record. Right. Blame someone yeah, else, yeah, it's called. Yeah. And I'd been making it while the band was kind of in this last, in the last throes of his, his existence. I was trying to fill the days and I just got bored and started making my own music. Yeah. And uh, labels set up, the band broke up, leaving us with, 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 with nothing to release. So I thought, well, what do we do? Just jack, jack the label in or try and try and put something out and see what happens. So I'd just finished this album, so it seemed to make sense. Yeah. So we released it. That was Bella CD one. Uh, never came out on vinyl because actually in the early early two thousands, late late nineties, wasn't was, selling any. No, vinyl wasn't really a thing. No, very very few things came out on vinyl, and I don't think we did very much at all up until maybe Trials of Anarchy Panther Med Lake period two thousand four five six seven that kind of thing. We started making that. a bit more vinyl. What was digital like then? Because I mean, I um, I to be honest, not at that, that point. No, it was just CD. Yeah, and uh, CDs were like massive. You know, yeah. really, really, really popular. I mean, if you even even up to two thousand and eight when the Fleet Foxes first album came out, uh, I mean, what, what I think it ended up selling in the UK around about seven or eight hundred thousand, and I think about ninety percent of those were CDs. Mm. So that that's how huge cd was up until well this point in time when it's fallen the away around, yeah. yeah it's fallen <laughs> away but the earliest records were um some good some bad you know to be honest I, the label wasn't just me at that point it was uh, me and uh, robin who was the guitarist of the cocktails we we'd started it together and it didn't really work with us both running it mm. because he had his taste and i had my taste mm. and therefore the identity of the label was was a little bit all over the place. It didn't really have, it didn't really have a sort of uniform A and R policy, you know. Mm. So I think until he moved away in two thousand and two uh, to France, he got married. He wouldn't. He never really wanted to have a label. Certainly not, not for putting out other bands. It was never his interest. No. Nor was it mine, to be honest, at the beginning. But when I didn't have anything to do, once the, once the cocktails broke up, I was a bit like, "What am I going to do now? I, I should do this, I guess, because it filled the day," you know. Mm. And that's sort of why I did it. And then all of a sudden, I'm here 20 years later, and it's like, oh, weird. Yeah. You know, I was not expecting mm-hmm. to be doing this oh. in my life at all. But he returned to making music and and, uh, and and left the country and left me to it, basically. And so at that point, I started kind of enjoying it a bit more. And I think from around about 2002 onwards, the, a- the A&R or the, 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 the sort of the signing policy or whatever, it started to make a bit more sense. The early records, there, there's some things in there that I don't even remember, you know, like some Japanese bands that he was working with that he wanted to put out or mm-hmm. some other stuff that um, was more his kind of thing than my kind of thing. So I don't really sort of feel it started properly until around about that album, actually. Yeah, when he left. And yeah, he was... and it just made it easy having one person rather than two because, you know, I think two people work sometimes if you, if you, if you, if you have similar tastes, but we had really different tastes. And I mean, you kind of 
I think there's always going to be a difference in opinion when someone's second guessing something. You, you kind of just need to have a gut instinct and go for it, really, don't you? You do. Oh, although I, you know, that's that's that is true. And but as I've said to the other people that work at Berlin Union now, because I, I always feel like I don't want this just to be all about me and my, totally. you know, it's like like a megalomania thing yeah. at all. It's it's just like having a direction and uh, if I didn't do the A&R then what else what, what would I do you know mm. it's like what I love to do yeah. love listening to new music all day every day but I do allow allow is the wrong word I do encourage the other people at Bella Union now who have been there a really long time and mm. do know me really well mm. to go out there and bring in things uh, t to me yeah. uh, as it were yeah. so I'm not saying I'm not involved anymore I'm 100% involved but I do say Listen, if you find something, bring it in. Yeah. And if I like it as much as you do, then we'll do it. Yeah. So it's like I'm sort of opening the door to them having totally. a bit more input into the label's roster rather than it just being all about me. Because yeah. I can't be listening to, to everything. No, totally. Um, okay, so I guess let's play something else. I think what would you say, following on from that Zars album, would be another major point in the in the in the well labels. i think that period um with the deers with yeah, fionn regan i remember i think we went to another that's another show i remember well i think was it coco, coco? yeah, oh, yeah i think i show. brought a few friends and yeah. we all drove up in the car from to well there was a moment wasn't there when the deers were like a really happening kind of yeah. band in the, certainly in the, in the UK, Coco, didn't they? yeah, they did really well up to a point, um, and it all sort of just pieced out. I, there's a lot of reasons why, um, but that the first album that we released, it wasn't actually their first uh, album in, uh, back home in Canada, but it was uh, called No Cities Left. Yeah, and um, well, it was a brilliant record. It was described as orchestral pop noir. Uh, I don't know if that's a, an appropriate term to use, but. Don't think we've got a section for it, a rough trade, but no, exactly. There'd be like one album in it, um, but yeah, people referred to him as the Black Morrissey, and he was a very, very interesting character at the front of the band. Um, brilliant musicians, mm. really, really brilliant live band. Yeah. And because he was quite a controversial character, he, he just said exactly what he felt. Obviously, it was great for the press because the press sort of jumped on it, and it was the first record we'd had that sold that much mm. i mean uh, these days you'd you'd you'd, you'd be biting people biting a hand off to get the sales of that record it's uh things have changed that much yeah but we were up to about 30 or forty thousand of that first years album. Wow, amazing and we never got close to selling that many records no. before so it was significant yeah. um and then we had the the mercury rev nominated uh album by fionn regan mm -hmm. end of history yeah which which came a little bit after that, and then the trials of Van Occupantha by Midlake, mm. obviously a very well known album. Yeah, and I think that little period there gave me the confidence. Well, initially, until things started going wrong financially, yeah. but it gave me the creative confidence. Yeah, totally. I was like, okay, well, you can I can actually things, yeah. do this. But what I found very frustrating, and, and other label, other label folks will understand this, is that you can get to thirty thousand. It's hard. It's really, really hard. But you can once you've got there, the hardest thing is is how to take it on to that next level, whatever that next level is. Thirty thousand to me seemed to be like, well, I've got all the mojo readers, all the uncut readers, all the people that that listen to six music, all the the mojo readers, uh, all the all the people that kind of are in our world. They all love this record and they've all bought it. 
but how do how do we get into that next, next level, level of people? Yeah. Um, and I unless you have money at that point, once you've sold your thirty thousand, unless you've got some marketing money to start branching it out to reach some of those other people, it's really difficult. Yeah. And with Van Occupantha, that's when I got I got I was hit a hit a bit of a wall with that record because I thought, well. If this doesn't sell a hundred thousand records, then I really need yeah, to give up because it's one of the greatest records of all time. Yeah. And, and and in a way, what then happened with with Fleet Foxes then took me into that different yeah. level. Yeah. Um, and it was it was a was a bunch of things going horribly wrong, and then I think uh, followed by I think some things going ridiculously right, <laughs> and that's kind of how that worked. Again, just luck. Uh, I was in Norway and I was like thinking of giving it all up. To be honest, mm. uh, it was two thousand and seven or was it six? I think you sent me a link actually on MySpace or something to I make think. to Fleet Foxes. Yes, I seem to remember that very well. I think. But yeah, I was I was like literally miserable about this. Like, well, why haven't these records really gone well? And I was like, maybe I should just not be doing this. And I got invited to go to Norway to uh, to a festival called Oya. And uh, the owner of the festival is a guy called Klaus, and he's invited a bunch of us industry people over to his his house for dinner. And I just was feeling feeling a bit weird that night. And I'm not normally somebody that that spends any time at all getting down about things, um, but I was feeling a bit depressed about the music business. I had a drink and, uh, and some food, it was very nice, and I went back to my room and I thought, you know what, when I get back to London, I think I'm probably going to do something else. I'm probably just going to go back to making music or working Tesco's, who knows. <laughs> but I got an email before I got into bed from uh, the booking agent of, of Beach House, who we were already working with, a guy called Trey. And he said, oh, I've just seen this band. You know, I think you really like them. They're, they've only played like three or four shows, very new, but it's a great sound and... Let me know if you if you like it, and I'll hook you up. It was a MySpace link. Yeah. Remember the remember MySpace? Yeah, I do remember. It, yeah. How brilliant was it MySpace was great, for a yeah. for a few it's years? Good A and R tools. It really was the best. <laughs> yeah. So he sent me this MySpace link, and I clicked. I got into bed, clicked on my laptop, and within about fifteen seconds, it was the it was the demo version of White Winter Hymnal. That's probably what I thought. What yeah, I forwarded yeah. you, and at that point, I was like, "Oh my word, mm. I have to sign this band, mm. and I'm I'm giving up the label and giving up music if I don't sign this band yeah. because this this is the this is what it's all been about. Everything is about this moment in time. Yeah. I just obsessed about it. Stood, stood, stayed up for a couple of hours writing. I don't know if you remember, you could write you could write messages to the bands on, on in within the MySpace yeah, thing. Right, yeah, you okay. could like click message the band. You could write a little email. And I sent him, sent Robin, or sent Fleet Foxes this sort of love letter, really, mm-hmm. you know, about how much I adored the sound and I was running this label and blah, 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 blah. If they were looking or interested, so let me know. Weirdly enough, they were, Robin and his sister and his brother, his brother is, is the guy that makes all their videos, his sister is their manager, were all in Norway. At the time. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, the chances are ridiculous. Yeah. They have ancestry in Norway and they were kind of doing a family visit so I was like oh well they wrote back he wrote back immediately the next day and said oh, wow I love the label I'd love to talk should we meet up in London next week when we're, when we're going to be there I was like amazing yeah. what are the chances you know he's in Seattle his band is from Seattle yeah. so within a couple of days of hearing this tune I'm sitting down with him in London 
talking about music and we spent the whole afternoon together, got on like really well. And I, I thought, great, well, this is going to happen. Then after a few mails back and forth, uh, things went a bit quiet and he wasn't mailing me back so much. And I heard through the grapevine that Sub Pop, the wonderful Seattle-based label, uh, were now talking to Fleet Foxes. And I was like, oh, my Lord. No so I'm not going to get them. <laughs> so I basically wrote him a mail and I just said, look, I've heard that Sub Pop are interested in signing you guys. And to be honest, I totally, if I was in your shoes, I would sign with them too. You know, why wouldn't you? Well, very, very easy. Walk around the corner, into the office, sign a deal. Very simple. But can I just please say that if you sign to Sub Pop for Europe, well, for the world, and therefore uh, Europe, I think it, as a friend, I would say, don't do it. It's a mistake. And that's not putting down Sub Pop in any way as a label. They're the best. But they, at that point, didn't have much of a footprint here in, yeah. in Europe. They didn't really have an office even. Yeah. And I said, look, you know, if you sign with us, and I'm not doing, I'm not saying this because I'm trying to twist your arm. I'm just telling you the truth. If you come here, sign to Bell Union, you know, we've, we've got a team all around Europe with this co-op thing. Mm. You know, you'll, you'll arrive in Berlin, you'll be met at the airport, taken to radio stations, and there'll be someone there. There's nothing weirder than, stranger than arriving in a foreign country and not knowing anything or not knowing anyone, not having anyone there looking after you. We would provide all of that. Mm. Sub Pop doesn't have that, mm. and that's, that's not a criticism, that's just a fact. Yeah. And I said, look, I'll leave it with you. You know, if it was me, I'd probably do the same as you. I'd probably sign the deal with Sub Pop because it's just so simple, one signature. Um, and I just let it let it out and said it said how I thought about it, and maybe expected never to hear from him again. No. But uh, you know, a week later, I just got an email with an attachment of the contract. Amazing. And they agreed, and he he said, "I totally get it. You're absolutely right. It would be the right thing to do." So we did a two album deal with them uh, for the for for the debut and uh, Helplessness Blues, and obviously the 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 the. the the goodness that that brought to the label, yeah. the success of that record cannot be understated because no. we went from being uh, a mildly known small indie to one of the bigger indies yeah. because of that record because yeah. we sold in Europe a million records, which is a million yeah. times more than I could have ever That's dreamed. Insane. It's just not something that would happen no. these days. And I've gone from like, no, absolutely not, not these days. I've gone from like about to, about to give up the label to... You know, within a few within a few months, a really, having our biggest selling record of all time, it is quite strange. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I guess having spoken about it, we should play we a should track. Play for the, what, what track would you? Well, I I I think the I should play Mykonos because I think Mykonos was 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 actually the turning point in the campaign. Because when you run when you run a label, you know you you don't. You don't really know what you're doing when you when you're planning it. You're no. guessing yeah. which track is going to resonate yeah. most with radio, with media, whatever. White Wind's Hymnal, obviously, yeah. is a great track. We put that out first. Actually, radio wasn't that bothered. Really, the next track we put out. What was it? Was it Tiger Peasant uh, Mountain Song or Ragged Wood? Well, I can't remember which no. which track was next. But again, it sort of you know registered on the scale, but it wasn't really kicking off. Then we all realized and noticed that Mykonos was the track live that everyone was reacting to the strongest. Because remember, at this point, there's no Spotify, there's no SoundCloud, there's no like, oh, what's the one people are uh, listening to most? It was really just what people are reacting to live. So 
Mykonos was the track we thought was the killer, but Mykonos was not yeah. on the album. I was going to say, no. <laughs> so it was on the EP that had just come out yeah. previously to the release, yeah. uh, an EP called Sun Giant, which is actually five songs that that easily could have been on the album. Yeah. They're just as good as anything on the album. Um, so uh, we talked about it in a meeting and thought, well, how how do we approach the band about about putting Mykonos on as, uh, as a single, given that it's not on the album? And I should explain to people listening that, why, why is that so weird? Because radio, BBC radio, would never play, playlist, a track that was on an EP, not an album. When you're promoting an album... And you take them, take them. Maybe less so now, but then, if you took an AEP track, they, they wouldn't playlist it because they were like, "Well, we're promoting the record on you. You're promoting the record on mm-hmm. you, so we'll only play something off the album." Mm-hmm. So I flew to Zurich that night, and I, I I had a sort of mission to try and come back with a plan that made sense. And what unbelievably, we they agreed it, and I I, I love them for that because it, it was quite strange. And if you ask bands to sort of change the the format of their records they're like well that's sordid and that's a bit crass why would we do that but what we suggested was can we just put the ep inside the package so it's actually still it's 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 separate it's a separate disc but it's just in a two disc package but to all intents and purposes it just looks like the album is it a 12 inch ep uh it came out as a 12 inch yeah. as well but the, but this is this is remember this is a cd like uh, obsessed world at this point in time, and, and yes, those things came out on vinyl, but but to to get it into a format that would make sense to radio, we had to package it so it looked like the album, and right. it, so we had an opening up and with the Sun Giant EP on one side and the, the full Fleet Foxes album on the other. But but what it enabled us to do was put a sticker on. This is as ridiculous as it sounds. They put a sticker on the front saying this package or includes the single Mykonos. Now, the fact is it didn't, the album did not include the single Mykonos, but this package did. So we could get away with sending that package to radio and going, hey, Mykonos, the new single, and they would just go, okay, great. And they, the irony is that worked and they playlisted it it at A Radio 1. Again, today that would never happen in a million years. They A-listed it at Radio 2. Mm. Um, No, I don't think that would happen today either. Uh, and obviously the demographic of both of those stations together were, was huge because it's like sort of, you know, 15 to 25-year-olds and then 25-year-olds to 55-year-olds. It's everybody pretty much. So that was the, the, the thing that the sort of the thing that the, the, the catalyst, if you like, to, to going on from the 30,000, the 50,000, the 100,000 to, 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 to close to a million. That That's why it happened because right. that track was... I never knew that. Yeah. Interesting. And how long so was the first pressing? Like, like, all the of first the first pressing, pressing like that then? They came out in June, the album, I think, May or June. Uh, no, it wasn't. We so did, this was we did, just, this was much just later for the radio campaign. This was November because we'd done the first okay. few singles and it, we'd gotten so far. But we, when we got to 100,000, I thought, amazing. What a, what a great result. We sold 100,000 Fleet Boxes records. We, we should, that's probably the end of it now. Mm. But actually, it was just the beginning of it because what happened was we got then A-listed on Radio 1 and Radio 2. We then went into like Christmas campaigns, uh, which still at retail at that point were huge. So like HMV and and, and Rough Trade and all of the the big stores were taking whopping great quantities of it because it was a a big Christmas sale. Mm. Then in the new year, it went into all the 
New Year sales, and then we could do like a price a price plan and sell a significant amount in in that period. Then we had another A list track at, at, at radio. Then then what happened? Then we started TV advertising it on E four on Channel Four on in between sort of shows that we handpicked as 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 likely places that people who might like that music would go and buy it. Mm. And believe it or not, you could you could do TV campaigns that were actually affordable. You could I don't know if you could do it now. Mm. I don't know the price so much anymore because record sales have just completely fallen off the scale. But uh, at that point, you could spend maybe 20 or 30 grand for a, a few weeks uh, of TV advertising. And all of a sudden, we went from 100,000 to 300,000 in a month and then steadily up to five or six, seven over the next few months. I mean, it was literally crazy. Mm. Couldn't, yeah, couldn't have imagined sells, it. Probably still sells. Still sells probably a few, a, hundred, a few hundred yeah. a month, yeah, because it's a classic record. Yeah. That first album is the record that, you know, you, you could give to somebody 15, you could give to somebody 65, and they would be, they would both love it. Yeah. You know, very unusual record. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, let's listen to Mykonos, which was, wasn't on the album, but it was included in the initial package.
Okay, that was Mykonos by Fleet Foxes. Um, so, I mean, I guess after, as you said, after that record came out, it uh, enabled you to do loads of other stuff. And, I mean, since then, you've had huge, other huge releases, maybe not to that scale, but it, yeah. in a different in a different kind of perspective. I think what it did was waved a flag to some of the industry that, that maybe weren't really aware of us before. And I think when... Other bands on who maybe were on big labels had had their contracts come to an end. Maybe Bell Union now was a label they could say, "Well, they can do it." You know, they know how to sell records. They're not just a cool label; they actually know how to sell records. And I think that's maybe what we were struggling with before. Yeah. You know, maybe you wouldn't pick up the bands like like your Grizzly Bears or 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 whatever at that point because well they're cool but do they know how to sell records mm. but then all of a sudden yeah we sold a million records so yes we do know what we're doing yeah and that's i'm sure why flaming lips is that the next marquee one from i suppose in terms of you know if you look at the uh, the last 35 years you know one of the one of the great american bands is flaming lips and mm. i'd always been such a massive fan mm. and i i was just coincidentally friends with their their manager for quite a while because he he ran um our american scott label booker, scott booker yeah. yeah he had this company called world's fair who mm. uh we released the mid late record through in the u.s and that's how i knew him and then you know one day he said would you be interested in putting the flame lips out they they're not so happy with the warner's situation in in the in the uk and would that be something you'd be interested in you know when somebody asks yeah. you a question like that you know there's only one answer yeah. well yeah yeah of course, mm-hmm. and the same thing happened with Mercury Rev, um, and I think you know just being spiritualized as well, and I think being able to attract yeah. bands, uh, sort of heritage bands, if you like, yeah. uh, of that stature, is is testament to to the success that Fleet Fox has brought us. Really, yeah. uh, you know, had that not happened, it might have taken a bit longer. Mm. Um, so I think you know you've got to be careful not not so that you don't just become like this label uh, full of old men, you know. And I know there's plenty of other labels that that do that very well. But uh, I'm I'm you know not signing Flaming Lips or Mercury <laughs> for any other reason than I I really love what they do. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think the the the, the last few years have been less stressful in a way because the success like that does buy you a bit of time, yeah. you know. To- um, to help, kind to of help invest in in some of that money in, uh, you know, in smaller artists, and and I've obviously you can see from the from the labels roster that that is still a huge interest of mine. Yeah. Because um, for every Beach House, you know, a band that maybe took three or four albums to develop. I mean, that's a good band to talk about for yeah. for the purposes of this uh, of this conversation that. You sign a band like Beach House, and it doesn't go that well to start with. Yeah. You know, what do you do? Do you do you give it one album, two albums, three albums? At what point do you go? Okay, I made a mistake here. This is I love them to bits, but it's not happening. It's mm. not it's not resonating with mm. people because nowadays the money is so small. What what labels? Well, we could talk about this because you obviously got your own label now. You know how tough this is. At what point do you go? Well, I've invested quite a lot already, and we're not seeing any sales. I can't just, yeah, you know, I can't just keep funding this forever. Mm-hmm. Um, what point do I say, shake hands and and, and move on, uh, or do I just have faith across the board blindly and just say, well, 
I'm just, I, I just think they're amazing. And I'm going to carry on as long as I can. I don't care if I lose loads of money. Yeah. It's a really fine balance to which, get right. Yeah, which, what, what was their album? That... Well, Beach House's first album, self-titled album, and yeah. then Devotion was the second album. First album sold maybe like two, 3,000 copies in, in, in the UK, which uh, for that time wasn't that great. No. It was just average. Yeah. Um, I mean, pretty much we could put anything out at that point, around about 2006, six, seven. we could put anything out and sell 2,000 records because we had a, a sort of fan base of people that, that loved our stuff. Now you'd be delighted with selling two or 3,000 of a new band. Yeah, Believe totally. me, things have fallen away that yeah. badly. But at that point, we loved Beach House and we were like, we, we should be doing better with them. What, yeah. what, what, what's wrong? Second album came out, we did about three and a half. Again, nothing spectacular. The mood... It was still a, seemed to be a bit of a struggle, and obviously we only had a two album deal. So I was I loved them so much, and I was so worried that we would lose them because I felt that we hadn't done that great of a job for them. Yeah. Um, but Mark, who who works with me at the label, and I decided to go um, and talk to them. They were playing with Explosions in the Sky, another one of our wonderful bands. They they were playing with Explosions in the Sky in Austin. Which cool is their show. hometown. Yeah. An amazing show. Yeah. It was their first show in 10 years in Austin. It was at the Lake Auditorium in front of like 20,000 people. And the, the mayor of Austin had arranged, unbeknownst to the band, uh, no, unbeknownst to the audience, uh, a, um, a sort of uh, flotilla on the, on the river behind the stage of fireworks. Um, so that at a certain point in the, uh, in the set, kind of signaled by the tour manager who was standing at the back of the stage, giving a giving a wave to the guy on the boat who had the, the fireworks, like at a moment where the kind of drums hit, like there was a, you know, sometimes an explosion in the skies, they stop and then they kind of, poof, you know, mm. hit hit the drums really heavy. Mm. At that point, the guy hit the button on the fireworks and the it was like, I don't know, 50 grand's worth of fireworks mm. he, he donated to the, to the thing. It was really an incredible night. And Beach House were one of the support bands on, on that show. And we arranged to meet them and talk to them about like, how we were a bit sad that we hadn't done better for them, but just re, re, reinforce how much we love them yeah. and that we would do anything we could to make it better. And they were just so lovely and they were like, oh, you know, don't worry about it. Because we knew there were other labels like 4AD and uh, other competitors who were now sniffing around yeah. knowing that they were out of a deal. But they said, we, we love you. We don't, we don't care about the sales right now. You know, it'll happen when it happens. They, they're they just such that, adorable yeah. people. Um so humble, you know, and they knew we'd been trying our best. And, mm. and sometimes, as we discussed before, sometimes you don't really know why a band hasn't kicked off. It just mm. it just hasn't for, for a million reasons or no reasons. And then Teen Dream came out a few months later. And really, that, that, <laughs> at that point, we knew it was going to be okay mm. because we suddenly went from three or 4,000 to sort of 20. And I thought, Oh, well, that's what so we that's a really beautiful thing. That's what you're after all the time, hoping that these little bands that you start off when nobody knows them, two or three albums in, it starts to happen. And that's what we have to tell our new bands. It's not going to happen on the first record. If it does, then you're incredibly lucky and good luck to you. Well done. Mm. But more chances than not, more times than not, it's going to take two, three, four albums before anyone pays any attention. So mm. you've got to be in it for the long run. Not just you, but them. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, they're now probably one of the most universally loved bands on the label. Yeah. I mean, they've released two albums last year. 
both as good as each other, I would have said. I mean, yeah, some people even think that the sort of the, the second secret one yeah. is, is even better than the first. What I would mean, you say is your favorite out of all of their albums? Bloom, yeah, I would say. Yeah. Um, I mean, but you, they, they've got so many amazing songs now spread across the whole thing. You know, one day uh, I'm sure a best of Beach House will be will be a good fun. But that to put rarities thing is a new out, one coming out, yeah. uh, you know, in June, uh, which is. Sort B-sides. of B-sides and rarities, which in a way is, is sort of setting it up for people thinking that it's just a bunch of outtakes and yeah, things, yeah. but it isn't. No, Some it's amazing. amazingly okay. cool things on there. Looking forward um, to that then. So that's another great Should one. Should we play a track from Bloom? Yes, let's play Myth. Yeah, that's one of the best <laughs> tracks of all time. Yes.
Well, that was Blo- that was Myth by Beach House off their album Bloom. And we're going to play one more track from you from Bella's catalogue and we thought we'd decide to go with something a bit more contemporary. Yeah, well, I mean, a, a good a good band to talk about, I think, um, is Lowly, uh, a band that's uh, just recently released their first album, came out in February, called Heber. Mm-hmm. Or Heber, I don't think there's any consensus on how to pronounce it. Um, I saw them a year or two ago in... Aarhus, which is the originally their hometown. Some of them now live in Copenhagen, but it's a little town in Denmark. There's a festival there each year called Spot, and I'd I'd been a couple of times previously as you know as a sort of guest. They invite people from the industry to go and do panels and whatever. And I went this time, and I was not intending to sign any bands to see anyone. Just hang out. I had a couple of friends from the band Our Broken Garden and a Danish band we'd worked with and hanging out with them. And somebody had said, go and check out this band, Lowly. And it was in the main hall of the auditorium. If you can imagine, sort of like the South Bank Centre, like the kind of Raw Festival Hall, then you've got the Haywood Gallery, Haywood, Haywood Gallery, is it? And the, and the Queen Elizabeth rooms. A place a bit like that with slightly different sized rooms, quite classical sort of concert hall. Mm. And I just walked in as they were coming on the stage. And... <laughs> like we kept looking at each other, like as the performance. Was, I was like, "How? How is this band new? How, how they can't be? The, they had no band. No new band can be this good." Play these venues, like. and and they were, they had a massive audience. Yeah. Like the audience seemed to know all the songs and like were reacting really well. They had a brilliant stage show. They looked fantastic. They sounded so professional, and I was really emotional, like listening to this song. And I was like, these songs. And I was looking at the two guys from, from, from Our Broken Garden who, although they were from the same country, also had no idea who they were. They mm. were like, these guys are amazing. Mm. So that was how I sort of met them. And mm. a couple of days after the show, I mailed them and I just said, look, I'm in town. I'd, I'd love to meet with you. And, and as you'll know now, doing this yourself, I can't sign bands. I don't want to sign bands that I don't like mm. a, 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 as people. people. Because it's like a lot of work you put into this thing, and it's um, it's it's hard enough <laughs> working working with people that you know were just the music alone. But if you're working with people that, that maybe don't get what you're doing yeah. and uh, just aren't really particularly responsive or fun to work with, it's just it's not it's not enjoyable. Yeah. So I met them and thought, well, let's see if I can get to know them, and 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 I just loved them immediately. They were so sweet, so lovely. Really ambitious, but not not like stupidly so, you know. And mm. uh, they just wanted to make music, mm. and they just wanted to do this thing. And I said, "Well, look, I, I just totally love what you're doing. Please send me any music." So here we are. You know, we, we've we've gotten to this point where we just put out the debut record again, like with Beach House. It feels like it's a slow burner. Yeah, it's one of these bands that uh, every time they come here, people freak out about it and yeah. go, "Oh my god, I had no idea they were that amazing." Yeah. And I mean, I, I've sort of been saying that to people now for a couple of years, yeah. but but it doesn't matter how many times I say it; people have to experience it for yeah. themselves. I'm sure you found yeah. that like it doesn't really matter what we say anymore. It's it's like the world has to discover it for itself. So the more you put it out there, the more they'll find it. But it might take a hell of a long time, or, mm. or longer than you hoped. Yeah. And I feel that with 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 Lowly, but they just sold out their first London show last month. They're coming back soon, aren't they? Yeah, they they, they did Great Escape, which was incredible. 
I mean, I've never seen a lowly show that, that hasn't been incredible. No. You know, and I, I'm fussy. I've been to see a lot of shows in my life and it takes quite a lot to kind of make me blown away. And they blow me away every time. It doesn't matter how many times I hear them. I can just listen to them all day. Yeah. Very emotional music, but also very, like, uh, interesting in that kind of way that amnesiac kid A Radiohead period was. Totally you know, agree. where it's, yeah. it's got that sort of electronic vibe, but it's also very organic. And the songs are just... And the songs are yeah. really strong, and the vocals are really melodic and melancholic. And it's kind of music I just sort of, like pull all my favorite bands together and chuck them all in a room that's lowly mm. it's but but they don't really sound like any of them if no, you know what i mean they yeah. just sound like lowly yeah. which is really unusual it's most rare. new bands don't sound like themselves until the second or third record they, they usually sound like a mixture of their favorite things yeah but lowly just sound like lowly yeah um so that would have to be you know obviously we could we could talk about lands on the lake we could talk about will stratton holly mcvee Explosions. There's some dirty three. There's, there's yeah, yeah. so many things we, we could talk cover about. It all. We could spend the next five hours yeah. talking about it and still just scratch the surface. But, but yeah, a lovely parallel to Beach House, I think, there with Lowly because yeah. you, I can sort of see them uh, having the same kind of fans. You know, fans yeah. of Beach House just adore Dope. Beach House. Yeah. A bit like fans of Cocteau Twins. Yeah. I see a big parallel there actually yeah. with my old band, yeah. and that's why I find it quite hard to go watch Beach House because I, I just. It's so similar it's like you're to playing. It, it's it's so emotional for yeah. me. I can just like it's like watching the audience uh, of a Cocteau Twins show. It's like that kind of adoration uh, of Victoria. Mm. It's the same look that in their eyes that they had with Elizabeth, and I I feel that's likely to happen with Lowly from the reactions I'm seeing already. Yeah, I think you think you could well be right there. I think yeah. it's definitely one of the store's favorite albums of the year so far. Yeah. I think it will probably end up in quite a few lists. It's a sleeper, isn't yeah, it? So I think it's, it's one that you just keep coming back to. Yeah, you put it on in here and you, you get at least five, six people yeah, <laughs> within the duration yeah. of the record coming up and asking about it. Totally. I think it will, yeah, like you say, when people do eventually get to hear it. It's, it and, and that's when you when you do this and you work all hours God sends doing it and, and a lot of the time it's like, what am I doing this? Yeah. Like nobody's paying any attention. Yeah. Every now and then, when you, when you have a lowly come, that suddenly starts, and you you maybe think it's I don't know if this is going to happen. No, no one come to the shows. A few months later, all of a sudden, something just happens. Yeah. I don't even know how it happened with lowly because I literally was thinking, I don't think anyone's going to get this. Yeah. And then the next show came along, and it was sold out. And I was like, oh, because they're not really getting radio play. They're not really getting any more press. But it's what you said. It's like people are just hearing it mm. through whatever. And loving it, yeah. and telling their mates about it, and that—that's the word of mouth. Actually, is the greatest marketing tool you can ever have. Totally. Well, they're playing end of the road this year, right? I believe yeah, so. So that another, hopefully, another catalyst towards sending them to where they, where they deserve so. to be. They—they—they they, they so deserve it. And I'm are they actually playing with um with Mercury Rev? Oh yeah, cool. At the Barbican. Another great show. So. Yes, which will, will be a very special event with the with the Royal Northern Symphonia. It's the first time Mercury ever ever played with an orchestra, so uh, you think of all those songs from the last thirty years, pretty much covered with a thirty-piece orchestra. It's going to be yeah, pretty emotional night for me because I'll be playing guitar with them. Oh, you will, yeah. And watching Lowly as a support band, I'll be just in tears for most of the, sh the yeah. You'll, the night. Need, you'll need a good sleep that night. Need a good sleep and a box of Kleenex. Yeah. All right, well, I'll choose Spawn from that album because I love it so much. Let's play uh, Look at the Sun from Loli's album Heber, which came out earlier this year. 
So I promised uh, Liv, our editor, that I would uh, discuss how I started my label, considering we've spoken about the history of your 20-year-old label, and and uh, it's not in my nature to talk about myself, but uh, I guess having worked in a record shop for me, as I, knew, I know you did the same, has been so, so crucial to be able to set up a a label and sell some records and I mean I, I know you started in Beggars in That's back true. in the day it's, it's, it's in the blood really for me um, and, and having our own little shop down in Brighton now as well but yeah I mean I'm always fascinated by your uh, your the way you've done this because you know I'm sure a lot of people listening or, or you know knowing that you have a label and with me as your father would sort of probably assume that I you know yeah. funded it or gave you some like big plan of how, yeah. and I absolutely really literally had nothing to do with it no. something you always even when you moved to Australia you went to Australia for a few years after uh, after leaving school and you were away for two years I think yeah. and you had that idea then yeah. um, this is before you even I think, yeah. knew you were coming to work in a record shop so it's obviously something that's been in your mind yeah for a while, and I'm 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 curious as to what was it because you liked the uh, yeah, idea of it, it was, or I, think it, I mean I think definitely the personable side of the way you ran your label helped. It just kind of I've, I've naturally been a very approachable person, and I've, having seen you know Fleet Foxes come round for dinner and things yeah. like that, it's always been something that I've kind of been around and not necessarily but, yeah, just yeah. kind of and. And I mean, in Australia, I, that helped. I saw some really cool bands over there who I had had never kind of had any any help over here. And for me, that was something that I thought I could it do immediately. And yeah. it just because I mean, there are so many bands out there that never get their records released here. And I know that's not the be all and end all. But the first band that I did sign, Low Tide, who are we do well over in Australia, but I thought it was more of a kind of European sound initially, and I thought that was that was the You're first right. step for me. And luckily, having worked in Rough Trade, introduced me to the right people that were able to help with that. A distribution company from Brighton, Republic of Music, who have been great and helped me with that. And well, I have to say, Stan, and I'm not saying this just because you're my son, but uh, you, we did take some in our shop down in Brighton. Yeah, uh, quite a quite a lot actually about. 15 and and which is generally more than uh, we take of our own records yeah. and it was our best seller for mm. a couple of months Just i mean you know time. almost annoyingly so it was yeah. selling way better than anything we were releasing Very but ironic, i mean actually but, you know it, it it could have been a Bella union release yeah and that's uh that's i, I think mean, that's I just probably think we do have very similar taste yeah. you and i and that's maybe not that surprising but um it's kind of more surprising to me, maybe, than it is to you. Yeah, I think that maybe has developed over the years, and I think for Low Tide, actually, they were huge Cocteau Twins fans themselves. So, I think maybe my in there of <laughs> having you as my father helped, but you, listen, you know, use whatever it takes, exactly. my friend. Exactly. Whatever it takes. So, yeah. They, so, how have you been finding it? Because obviously, you've, you've, you're not just releasing Australian stuff. You're uh... no, it's signed a couple more bands now, and hopefully, some more to follow. Uh, but yeah, I mean, as as you say, for me at the moment, it's just about building this reputation where everything you put out is is amazing, and one I don't know, one day you're gonna put something out that everybody likes. But at the moment, it's just a case of, oh, that that label who did that's putting another thing out. For me, that's that's the way to approach it, and not 
I'm not worrying about sales or anything. Just about. No, well, that's something I hope you. Know, I I hope you picked up from me. Is yeah. that You can. You just don't know no. what anything is going to do. No. And I, I've always approached it the same way. Like I can't. I couldn't tell you. I mean, you obviously hope every band's going to sell well. Yeah. But uh, I think it's going to be harder to do it to to like least, not yeah, have any commercial like viewpoint before you put a record out. Uh, I'm going to try and stick to it because it's it's worked for me up so far. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's really tough right now because yeah. if, if you if you only sign bands that you love with no consequence of, yeah. of sales, then, you know, you've got to get it right, yeah. like, at least four out of five yeah. or three out of five. Yeah. You know, and I, that's, that's tough. Yeah, of course. Financially, I mean, you've got to get yeah. it right financially. I mean, I you know, I've, I've grown up in a period where because we've got a good ro- good roster uh, and decent reputation, we know there's quite a lot of people that just go and buy things because they're on Belly Union. That sort of gets you off to a good week one start. Yeah. But it's, it's so hard with the saturation of new bands mm. to get any attention, yeah. to get even a review. Yeah. Like people are sort of getting celebrated. We got a review. Yeah. Like once upon a time, like I'd be like, so what? Yeah. I want a feature. I don't want to like, care about a review. A review is like uh, surely a standard, absolutely must happen thing. Yeah, you're putting an album out, so people should review. <laughs> yeah, but nowadays now it's, it's like, like we got a review in this in this blog. I'm mm, like, okay. six out of ten review. Yeah, <laughs> wow, amazing. You know, and it's it's a, it's a whole new world that we that we're in right now. But I don't find it, um, and I'm sure you don't either, like depressing or d- distressing. I think it's exciting yeah. because I think. Yes, it's a challenge. That's what it is. Yeah. It's a challenge. And exactly. rather than go, well, I don't get it. It's like no one's buying records anymore. That that just seems such an easy, obvious comment to make because that's the fact. Yeah. But like, well, what are the solutions? There's got to be other ways of doing this. We're always going to want music. Mm-hmm. You've got to put it out. Yeah. You've got to let people know it's there. Mm-hmm. It's just got to be more patient and more realistic with the numbers. Yeah. And that's, that's I think, yeah, Let's what you we'll keep, we'll keep our full-time jobs on the, on the side of it. We have to do that, and yeah. then the bands probably should do that too. Yes, exactly. And I try and tell all my bands. Unless listen. you want to tour 365 days a year, and even so, you'll probably be... Yeah, even so, you'll probably be struggling. Yeah. I mean, most bands get paid. Support bands, what's 50 quid to play a support? So yeah. if you're in, you know, uh, Milton Keynes and you've got to come to London to play a 50 quid support in a van right, yeah. that costs you 100 for the day, then, you know, the math does not work out. Yeah. And for most bands, that that's the reality. You know, the math doesn't work. So you have to have a job. You know, I yeah. say to all our bands, listen, just because you signed a Bell Union does not mean anything changes. You don't suddenly become wealthy or famous or anything. You know, you've just got to be the same. Just carry on doing what it is that led you to this point. But, you know, and I think that's the future. It's, it's People have just got to be way more realistic than they have been for a while. No, definitely. I'm on board with that. I'm actually, so Low Tide are coming over for their first UK tour. They'll be at End of the Road summer. as well. End of the Road, yeah. That's and a little plug for them there. But uh, if, if anyone wants to Will Rough Trade check, be there again this year? We will be there, yes. Yeah, so Rough Trade runs the on, well, that's my role in the company, actually. We run an on-tour stall where we take the shop to festivals and sell the band's merch and that whatever. So superb. Maybe I'll get a, to juggle, oh, juggle that from watching my bands. Yes, do exactly. Do for low tide. So, uh, yeah, my label's called Opposite Number, I should say that, so you can look it up if you like, and uh, we'll play a track from 
their little, well, we'll play their last single, which we just released on Seven Inch, which is almost sold out. So get one of those if you can. Um, we'll check out like that. Uh, it's nice, lovely to be with my father. In, it's a lovely way to spend the morning, Stan. Yes, exactly. Thank you so but, much. Uh, yeah, thanks for listening, and here's to another 20 years. Thank you, mate.
Rough Trade Radio. Reviews and subscriptions help to support what we do, so if you like what you hear, then please rate us on iTunes.